Welcome back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, thank you for the gift of the saints. Thank you for the gift of St. Joseph. Thank you for his yes to you, to his call. Lord, I just praise you for all the ways that you are loving us and taking care of us and blessing us. Lord, I ask that you would increase the uh, the way in which we, as a church, look to St. Joseph in this time, and that we come to appreciate the fatherly care that he expresses through his mighty intercession. Lord, give us a longing for heaven, give us a hope in the saints, and let us live for you in a new way. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, I have been praying for humility. I, To be honest, it's a little kind of a humble admission. I haven't been very intentional about asking my guardian angel to humble me each day. Um, I, I'm aware in the it's in the background of my Lent, to be honest with you, and it moves into the forefront when I actually get humbled. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, there's another way I'm getting humbled. There's a new way of being humbled. Yeah, that's also a way of being humbled. Well, yesterday I received, uh, 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 yesterday I received another form of being humbled. I received, a, I get feedback from listeners and I read one of the pieces of feedback from the listeners, and you can give me feedback too. If you want to join in on the act of uh, humbling Tom Curran, I welcome it. Uh, I don't always easily receive it, but I welcome it at mycatholicfaith.org. Just go to mycatholicfaith.org, and you can get in contact with Dr. Tom Curran. And someone chose to and ended up sharing uh, Tom, you had your son on, John Mark, and you kept interrupting him. Hey, Tom, you're good and all, but please, why were you interrupting him? I wanted to hear the profound insights that your 16-year-old son had to say. And I've had a lot of humbling things said to me before. Never had that said to me before. And so uh, I immediately went into defensive mode, but I'm like, okay, this is just another act of humility. Let me just uh, humble myself. Let me receive this and uh, and take it in and learn from it. It's so funny. When um, when I get humbling things happening to me and Carrie notices me getting defensive, she'll say, you know, Tom, why don't you just pray about that? Why don't you just take it to prayer? Just see what the Lord is saying through that. <laughs> and it's not the easiest thing to do because oftentimes the things that, or at least in my life, the things that are humbling me are things that, maybe are connected to wounds, wounds in my life, things that hurts that I've experienced from my past. And um, what Kerry will say is, hey, pray about that. See if the Lord maybe wants to come closer to you in that place in your life and begin to set you free, begin to heal you of the that wounded part of your life. So um, I, I, you know, when I, when I was saying this Lent, all right, Guardian Angel, I'm, I give you permission, and I ask you to humble me each day. Just if you can keep it to one time a day, I would appreciate that. But if you can do that, I, I, I will. I say yes. I, I didn't realize that some of the ways that I would be humbled might actually be used by God to reveal areas of my life where He wants to heal me. I kind of thought of it more like his act of humbling me will be purifying, it'll be cleansing, it'll lead me to repentance, it'll lead me to contrition, those sorts of reactions. Not, Tom, you're experiencing a humiliation here. You're experiencing a humiliating moment It's that's humbling to you because of a wound that you walk around um, allowing to continue to have an impact on your life. Let me in and let me heal that wound. And it won't be so humiliating anymore. It won't be so humbling anymore. So I, I share that with you just to say that some of the things that the Lord might be doing in our lives this Lent may not be enjoyable. They, they may be difficult to receive. They may um, invite you to walk on a path that's hard to live. But if you are willing to humble yourself, you just might discover that the Lord is bringing about an open door to healing, an open door to blessing, 
And not only where I tend to go, which was, oh, he's revealing an area of my life that's sinful where I need to repent. And that's true, too. It, that certainly has happened and been happening. But um, I, I just, I thank God, thank you, God, for Carrie. Thank you, God, for a wife that's willing to listen to me uh, like vent or, you know, be upset or, uh, you know, respond to something that's happened in a way that's somewhat defensive and gently just sort of takes it in and then just says, you know, you might want to pray about that. Maybe the Lord is saying something. <laughs> that's not I, that's not easy to hear because the natural the natural sense is what, yeah, I know she's right, but boy, that's... It's hard to, to continue to walk that out. Okay, let's let's continue walking with St. Joseph. Today on the program, I'm going to continue to walk through these uh, 10 moments in the life of Joseph that we either read about in Scripture, or you can infer that they also happened precisely because of what does happen in Scripture. Like, for instance, the betrothal of St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother was the first moment, and then it was the dream of Joseph and how the Lord communicated with him, and then it was the moment of visitation where he accompanied the Blessed Mother to Zachary, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now we are at the moment of the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. And uh, in that moment, we come to Bethlehem. And the interesting thing about this is, is why he ended up in Bethlehem, right? He ends up in Bethlehem, not because the best hospitals were there, but because the census was required by Caesar, and so he had to take the Blessed Mother and go to Bethlehem. And he was willing to honor what it was that the civil leader of the time required of him. There are moments when the proper response is to undergo the requirement that comes from the civil leader, and in honoring that, um, God will honor you. And so I see how this is happening, and you might say, well, how did God honor this? Well, let's take a look at what we know about Bethlehem. In the scriptures, Bethlehem is identified as the place of the birth of the Messiah. Now, Joseph didn't say, hey, hey, blessed mother, hey, Mary, we, we need to go to Bethlehem in order to let Jesus be born there in order to fulfill the prophecy. That wasn't the motive. He took uh, his pregnant wife, Mary, to Bethlehem because of the census requirement. But powerfully, amazingly, this is also the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. It's a prophecy coming to fulfillment, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so for me, I take from this a really important and powerful lesson that God's in control. The Lord is in control. And he's in control even when you face situations that are unexpected, that involve introducing difficulties to your life that you wouldn't have wanted to be there. And when you're willing to undergo them, the Lord is saying, I'm going to honor this. And you just might discover that my own lordship is going to shine forth right in the midst of this and even bring to fulfillment something that you couldn't have foreseen. So that's a really powerful and important lesson for us today, that there are times when we are called upon to honor the civil leaders and their requirements, even when it's uncomfortable and difficult. Now, we're going to have another moment. There's going to be another moment that we're going to poise in as a counterpoint to that, and that's the moment where Joseph fled to Egypt. He fled to Egypt with the baby Jesus because Herod, that religious leader who was working in coordination with uh, the Romans, um, he was exercising a kingship over the Jewish people. He sent uh, soldiers to slaughter the firstborn, and Joseph fled to Egypt. He didn't say, well, I'm going to just simply sit here and allow this civil leader to exercise leadership uh, and, and policies and laws that are going to impact my family. No, I need to flee. So 
There are times when you undergo and there are times when you flee. There are times when you undergo and there are times when you flee. And it's a matter of discerning like Joseph did. When do I undergo something and watch what God will do to show that he's Lord and he can bring something to fulfillment through it like where Jesus was born and other times when the call is to flee. So I'll, I'll get to that one. That's one that you've heard me talk about on Sound Insight before. So um, we can spend less time on that one today. But let's, let's stay and ponder a little bit longer at Joseph, the place of Joseph, the experience of Joseph in the birth of Jesus. So here he is traveling a long distance to get back to his ancestral homeland. And there in Bethlehem, he wants to find a place where his pregnant wife, who is about to give birth, can do so safely, peacefully, and in an environment that is fitting for the child to be born, that he knows is the Messiah. He knows is Jesus, God saves. And you try to get into the mindset of Joseph. What would it have been like? Here he is. What's he saying to this young 14-year-old, maybe now 15-year-old teenage girl, the mother of God? What's he saying to her, looking her in the eyes? Is he saying, I've got you covered. I'm going to find a place for you to give birth. Trust me. I've got this. And inside of himself, remember now, he goes inside himself, and he, what's he saying to the Lord? Lord, where is this birth going to happen? Lord, you didn't forget us, did you? You didn't forget that this is your son. You didn't forget, Lord, the momentous nature of what is about to happen here. Lord, I really would like a bed, a room, a house, a family, some loved ones to be around us as this is happening, and it's not happening. It's not happening. The amount of trust in God's providential care that Joseph had to exercise in this moment is enormous. It's enormous. He had to be able to reconcile within himself the idea that the place that God was providing for the Son of God to be born on earth was a stable. And the crib was going to be the feeding trough of animals, the manger. It's a feeding trough of animals. And that's where the baby was going to be put down. This this, this is hard to comprehend. This is hard to wrap his mind around. But he had to trust. And in trusting, know that God was going to take care of them. I like to bring up the the humorous little anecdote of the guy that you don't want to be in heaven is the innkeeper. (laughs) You just don't want to be that guy who has to face it the last judgment. Yep, that's right. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph came to my door. Jesus is about to be born at my inn, and he said, "I, I don't have any room for you. I have no room for the Blessed Mother to give birth to the Son of God. (laughs) That, that, that's a difficult one. But what does that mean for us? Well, for us, it's a very, I think, utterly painfully relevant uh, reality that we don't often, we, if you're listening to this radio station and this program, you're not driving God out of your life. You're not saying, I rebel and I reject you and I shake my fist at heaven regarding the requirements that you've placed upon me in my life. I renounce the moral law and the teachings of the Catholic Church and its uh, its moral code, and I refuse to bend my will or bend the knee. <clears throat> no, we don't drive God out. Yet there there is a way in which the world, the flesh, and the devil can take hold of our lives and we can resist and rebel. Yes, yes, it's true. But for most of us, most of the time, the bigger problem we have is not driving God out. It's crowding God out. It's not driving God out. It's crowding God out like the innkeeper. There's no room at the inn. Well, why? He was crowding out the Blessed Mother about to give birth to the Son of God because there were too many other people he was taking care of. There were people that he was probably trying to serve food to. There were people that he was probably visiting with and maybe finding an enjoyable conversation with. And uh, this was an enjoyable crowd, and, and, and it was full, and he was having good business, and he was making some money. And 
all the things that happened and running it in on his mind. And you know what he did? He missed the moment. He missed the moment. He crowded God out. Too many of us crowd God out. We crowd him out of our daily lives. We crowd him out of our minds and in our hearts because of that crazy busyness that is ours. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to continue to mine the moment of the birth of Jesus and then continue forward. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I'm reflecting on St. Joseph in part three of a series on uh, St. Joseph and your life, digging into 10 moments in the life of Joseph and linking them to your life, sharing stories along the way, another teaching that I hope you find to be encouraging, inspirational, and a blessing to you in this Lenten season. I'm at the moment of the birth of Jesus and really focusing on St. Joseph, but also on the other characters that are part of these holy events. And so think of the three wise men. The three wise men are often associated with the very night of Christmas, um, though it doesn't really state it like that in the, in the scriptures. It doesn't really appear as if, oh, first the shepherds, the shepherd children appeared, and then all of a sudden the three wise men show up right there on Christmas, on, uh, on Christmas night. Um, but be that as it may, um, pause and ponder the moment of the three wise men showing up because of the gifts that they bring. What do they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You can connect this actually to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And so almsgiving, obviously, we have gold. uh, And so that's one of the gifts of one of the kings, one of the wise men. Uh, We have uh, the uh, anointed oil, right? The uh, actually, let's go to the frankincense. That's the easier one. So frankincense is uh, often associated with prayer. So that aromatic uh, smoke that fills the air is like the praises and the prayers that are going up to heaven. Um, you see that when you go to mass, if when you see a thurible and a thurifer and the use of incense, that cloud of smoke is our prayers of praise and our intercessory prayers rising before the Lord as a sweet, uh, a sweet odor uh, and our desire to, to please the Lord with our prayers and our sacrifices. So we have gold and frankincense. So we have almsgiving and prayer. And then fasting. Well, what's fasting have to do with myrrh? Well, myrrh is an anointing oil connected to, die, uh, to death. And so there's a sense of dying to self. There's that sense of, uh, I'm going to restrain myself in fasting and acts of self-denial and giving things up, especially things that are pleasant and comfortable, soft and nice, all of that. Well, uh, these are acts of generous stewardship. These are acts of generous stewardship, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These kings are making this journey. They made the journey in order to see the king and to extend this sense of giving, of generous giving, of saying, I'm going to be extravagant in how I live my stewardship. That for me is a beautiful uh, thing for us to reflect on in our Lenten journey. How extravagant is our giving? How generous is our almsgiving, our prayer, our fasting? Or are we checking the box going through the motions, doing it half-heartedly, giving half an effort. And so St. Joseph here witnesses a tremendous act of stewardship on the part of the three wise men. And I take in that an invitation to say to St. Joseph, St. Joseph, pray for me. Pray for me that I would be like one of the wise men, that I would be a true king in the service of the Lord, by how it is I, in that place in my life where I have authority, like a king, I use it to be of service, service to you, Lord. I place before you my life. I give you my life as a stewardship, Lord. I want to do with my life whatever it is you would have me do. And so accompany Joseph along the moment of the birth of Jesus, and there pray and ask St. Joseph to pray for you, to be a good steward to be a good steward of the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that have been stirred in you and that you have said yes to. All right, 
Shane Sound Insight, I'm reflecting on these moments in the life of Joseph that we know about in the scriptures or we connect to because these are events that must have happened um, for the things that we do know about uh, Joseph that did happen. So after the moment of birth, 40 days later, we have the moment of the presentation, the moment of the presentation. And honestly, um, I loved what John Mark had to say about it more than what I had to say about it on Saturday. Um, uh, John Mark took it from the book on the consecration of St. Joseph to St. Joseph by Father Donald Calloway that he's reading and um, preparing for um, in his own way. But uh, there, the act of presentation was connected to the way in which uh, a father wants to protect his family from suffering. How a father, a uh, husband would want to protect his wife from suffering and protect his son from suffering. And here's Joseph having uh, these prophetic words be spoken to the Blessed Mother and to Jesus and about Jesus that involve suffering. A sword shall pierce your heart, that Jesus will be uh, the uh, sign to be contradicted and uh, will be the, the rise and the downfall of many. So these prophetic words about Jesus and the, um, the, the redemptive life that he would live by the giving of his own life, and how Joseph had a task to prepare them to be able to suffer when he had the discernment or the insight that he knew he wouldn't be there for them as they suffered. And what a suffering that that was for, for Joseph. Uh, so that's what uh, John Mark had shared, and it came from the book on the consecration to St. Joseph. Um, I was thinking more about the act of uh, giving over and trust. If it took great trust for Joseph in the moment of the birth of Jesus, that moment of trusting that God would provide, this moment, the moment of the presentation, is the moment of entrusting, of giving over, giving over to the Lord, the child that was placed into his hands. So as a steward, things are placed into his hands. Well, in this instance, we can learn a very important lesson from Joseph. The most important way that we live our stewardship, the most foundational way that we live our stewardship, the most elementary way that we live our stewardship in the lives of those who are placed in our hands, our children, our spouse, is that we then present them back into God's hands. We give them over to God, the act of giving over, of entrusting. And that is not always easy, especially when our kids are struggling or the way our kids are acting it's leading us to struggle, struggle to know what to do, struggle to know how to go forward peacefully and well. And so the reality of the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple is for me um, a mystery that I go back to quite a bit. I go back regularly to that mystery and I ask the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph to be with me in that act of presenting, in that act of presentation, that I dearly desire, I deeply desire to be one who is able to entrust into the hands of the Lord the life situations and the lives of my kids and of my spouse, of Carrie. And that's a conscious and intentional act. I do encourage you to do that, to make it a daily practice are you hearing me, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers? A daily practice of entrusting your kids, your spouse, all that they are, all that they have, all that they're involved in, all of their relationships, their workplaces, their finances, their vehicles, all the places that they will go, all they are and have. Lord, I, with the authority that you have given to me as the father, as the husband, I place them into your heart into the hidden recesses of your most sacred heart. And there I ask that your love, your burning love and the anointing of power, of peace, of life, of joy, of filling them to overflowing, that those good things and gifts and graces would happen for them. This is what I ask, Lord, as I place them into your hands. You can pray that way. You pray in your way. That was just me just 
in the moment praying in a, in a way that um, resonates very much with the way that I pray on a daily basis for my kids and my spouse, the act of presentation. And if that's an act that's a little bit foreign to you, if it's an act you're like, I, don't, I was never really taught how to do that, well, go to Joseph, go to Joseph, go to Joseph. You're especially, for the men that are out there, go to Joseph and ask him to accomplish that act of presentation in you. Did you hear that? I know that's kind of, might sound kind of like uh, odd. Really? What is that like? Well, stop and think about it, that the saints in heaven are active. They're active here on earth as God wills. They're active here on earth because God wills. God raises up and draws attention to saints. And he often is linking the work that is theirs to accomplish from heaven towards earth, the things that they were caught up in and involved in while they were on earth. Well, we know that one of the uh, ways in which Joseph exercised his stewardship as the foster father of Jesus and the husband of Mary was in this great act of presentation. Ask him to pray for you in that regard, that you too would be a father and a husband, a wife and a mother of presentation, of entrustment. I make a big deal of it because it's one of the hardest acts, because it's, it's when we face those times that feel out of control. We feel out of control because we can't control. We feel out of control because the, the, the kids that we're, we're dealing with are not visibly in front of us that we can manage any longer. I remember sharing about this on Saturday, and it, I, I could tell that it was striking some deep chords in, in the hearts and minds and lives of some of those that were there, um, bringing up that reality that um, the, the suffering that so many parents and grandparents undergo is specifically related to the way in which they lived their stewardship as parents when their kids were younger, putting them into uh, Catholic schools, grade schools, high school, sending them off to Catholic college, um, living a Catholic life in, in, in a world that wasn't quite so crazy and toxic. And yet to discover that when their kid comes back from college, they no longer identify as Catholic, they're no longer going to Mass, they have left the, uh, the practice of any faith. They now self-identify as a nun, an N-O-N-E, as no religious affiliation. And uh, they end up in serious relationships, often marked by situations that are sinful uh, in, in the mind of the church, sinful uh, in terms of cohabitation and, and other uh, premarital sexual activity, things, things like this. And then if they do get married and they have kids, there's a, a common situation where the kids are not baptized. And the suffering, the suffering that parents face is just immense and intense. And it's so very common. It's, it is so very common. And it's, what did I do wrong? Could I have done more? And what do I do now? Those are the heart's cries. What did I do wrong? Could I have done more? And what do I do now? And... I, I sadly, I, sadly, uh, I don't have any secret like magic formulas, but I say that it's their prayer, sacrifices, and sufferings that they are undergoing now, and they willingly endure for their kids because of the situations they're in. God sees, God hears, God honors those powerful acts of self-giving and self-sacrifice. The, the suffering that, that lives in the hearts of, of those of you that are listening in that, in that circumstance, God, God sees it all, and, and he will use it fruitfully. Maybe not in your time frame, not in the time frame that you'd like, not in the way that you'd like, but the Lord is at work. And so there's that entrustment, the entrustment, the giving over, the giving over, the giving over, and how hard, how difficult that is. So there's the presentation. And this actually naturally leads to the next event in the life of Joseph that I'm talking about today on Sound Insight, trying to make my way through the remaining of these 10 events in the life of Joseph as a way to be a blessing to you and help connect you to St. Joseph's life 
uh, St. Joseph connects to your life, and not just in some kind of reflective, imaginary way, but in a way that's real, in a way that St. Joseph really is alive in heaven. St. Joseph really is a mighty and powerful intercessor before the throne of God. St. Joseph really does get raised up by God in moments of history and in individual Christian lives in order to be a conduit of blessings. God is not threatened by his saints. He's not threatened by Joseph. He loves to honor Joseph, who honored him with his whole life. The one who entrusted Joseph with the care of the Son of God, I think has some favor before the throne of God when you put yourself into his hands and said, would you take care of me? Or would you take care of my kids or my grandkids? Would you take care of this situation, Joseph? Will you present it before the Lord? Yeah, wow, that will bear spiritual fruit. Let's, let's see, let's see what happens. All right, back in a minute with Sound Insight in the next of these moments. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you as I walk through these 10 moments in the life of Joseph, walking my way through the betrothal to the Blessed Mother, his uh, dream where the Lord communicated to him, the uh, moment of the visitation, the birth of Jesus, uh, the... um, What did I just do? I just finished another one. The presentation of Jesus. And now we have the flight into Egypt. And so the flight into Egypt is that moment where Joseph had um, heard about what Herod was doing. Um, An angel came to him and said, take the child and the mother and go to Egypt. And just again, here's, here's, we can recall some of what we've already said about the manner of God's extraordinary communication uh, came to him in a situation where he was less resistant in a dream and asked him to do something that he wouldn't have naturally thought of on his own, like why go to Egypt? This wasn't no family there. This wasn't a natural place for him to go. It wasn't what he wanted, planned, or desired for himself, for the Blessed Mother, or for Joseph. But because of the threat, because of the risk, but because of the danger, God sent an angel to say, you must flee. You must flee to Egypt, not in order to hide, but in order to be safe, in order to be prepared, in order to, uh, to, to hold one's child in reserve for the day when it'll be good and safe to come back and then engage. And you can see how there are just a lot of lessons there and how, for me, this is one of those moments. This is one of those moments in the history of the church where um, families are discerning. They're discerning that, is this a Bethlehem and birth moment? Right? In the Bethlehem birth moment, it's a moment where you undergo the uh, burdens and, and challenges that the civil, the civil rulers and the secular world around you place upon you. And you say, I will undergo them and the Lord will bring um, a prophecy to fulfillment and uh, we will see God's glory made manifest. And that's what happened to Joseph in, in Bethlehem at the birth of Jesus. And there are times and there are families listening for whom that is the path that the Lord is asking you to walk, to undergo what's happening and to watch how the Lord, you can trust him. Even when you're being crowded out of other things in your life, you're going to find that the Lord is saying, I'm going to be born right into the midst of this. But there are definitely families who are discerning that this is a moment of a flight into Egypt. This is a moment of the slaughter of the innocents. And again, I when I think about it, I say adults. If you're an adult, if you're a full-grown adult, or you're a grandparent, um, you can you can make it. You don't the, the the urgency for you is just not as great because you already have your set relationships and neighborhoods, your set patterns of life, and you have a greater sense of immunity and armor to be able to fight against the craziness, the toxic world uh, that is uh, that you, you're, you might be living in the midst of. But if you have teenagers, if you have tweens where they are exposed to the filth, the toxicity, the, the heinous uh, disregard for uh, the beauty and truth and goodness of, of our inheritance as Catholics and Christians in America, uh, 
Uh, if, if that's the world that you're in, you have to find your Egypt, wherever that Egypt is. Yeah, that Egypt could be in your neighborhood. It could be found in your own parish. It could be found in your own school. But I know for many families, it means uprooting and finding another Egypt. It means moving. And it means moving for the sake of the salvation of their kids' souls. I know that, and I say this, I feel a little like like vulnerable in saying this because I know it triggers some folks that are listening. They're like, I can't move, I can't move, stop saying that. And I'm like, if you can't move, then please just pray for those who can. Uh, not everyone's called to move, but some are. So pray for those who can. Pray for those who ought to. Pray for those who should. And again, I know that not everybody can, so please, please, you can you can email me if you want. You can email me if you want, but I'm trying to. I am simply trying to fulfill the call that God has for me. And part of the call that God has for me is to help families who are paralyzed and overwhelmed by what's happening to their kids, to get them to find inside of them the God-given strength to uproot and to take serious action without half measures to do what they weren't expecting or wanting, desiring or planning, and doing what they're doing to save their kids' souls. And it's not just that the grass is a little bit greener on this side. Uh, I am telling you, it is fundamentally incredible. The, the, the gifts and graces that God has blessed here in the Spokane to Coeur d'Alene Corridor the amazing gift of faith and of the culture around the schooling, the parishes, uh, and the wider culture that is just supportive of uh, a, a way of life that is just so less toxic. It's so much more healthy. It leads to so much flourishing. And you've heard me talk about it. So uh, on Saturday, I talked to a family, and and this was a situation where they were discerning what high school their kids should go to. And they were looking at Chesterton, and they were looking at um, Gonzaga Prep, and uh, because they really valued a Catholic Christian education. But the more that we discussed it, the more I'm like, I don't know how you you think that your child going to Gonzaga Prep is going to be preserved and nurtured and flourish in their Catholic faith. They're just going to face a battle, and they're going to either have to hide in a corner with their authentic full Catholic faith, or they're just going to be slaughtered by uh, the, the spirit and the culture that is prominent there, that's just coming from the world. And so I, I'm like, there are healthier options, but it's going to take courage. It's going to take uh, uh, some serious willingness to say, I'm willing to uh, stand and even face my kids and say to them, I love you enough to not let you be put into a situation where your faith is going to be eviscerated. Your faith is going to be just severed and torn apart. I want something better for you. I want something more life-giving for you. And we found that. Uh, we found that uh, one daughter that graduated from Chesterton last year, and now we have a bunch of kids at the Oaks, which is a classical Christian school, with, uh, which has a number of Catholics at it. And we just love it. And you've heard us talk about that. So I know that there are healthier options. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. So the flight to Egypt, Joseph did it. And he did it at the, the message of an angel to save his kids. And so... Uh, we don't have to look far in our own experience of living the Catholic faith, going to church, to see that we've lost most kids to the practice of their Catholic faith. You hit the mid-teens through the early 20s, you've lost the extraordinarily high majority of kids who grew up in Catholic homes are just not practicing their faith. And that has to be paid attention to for anyone who cares. So the flight into Egypt. All right, let's continue moving forward. Uh, it, by the way, if this is something that you want to explore more fully with me, if you're a family and you're discerning, okay, what does that mean for me? And, and what that means for me is how do I find the Egypt for myself, right? Um, I, I'd be happy to talk about it with you, with your spouse, I do this regularly over Zoom or in person. And so if you're on the West Side, I'm happy to do this over Zoom. And, and for me, I know the right answer isn't for everyone. You have to move, and you certainly don't have to move here, right? That's not the right answer for everyone. But if you're overwhelmed and you're trying to find what the right next steps are, 
I'm thrilled to be able to do that. Just get in contact with me. Go to mycatholicfaith.org and just contact Dr. Tom Curran. I will set up a time. We can meet over Zoom. There's no fee, no cost. It's just this is the mission and ministry that I feel so passionate about is to help families striving to raise their kids in faith to be able to have uh, some dialogue, uh, but hard dialogue around how do we discover what steps we ought to take and, and how do we take them. I feel passionate about that mission. Okay, um, let's continue on. Um, the next moment after this, um, uh, the, the flight into Egypt, is uh, the moment of the uh, finding of the child Jesus in the temple. And so we actually flash forward here about 12 years, uh, and we have this moment of the finding of the child Jesus in the temple, the fifth joyful mystery, which again involves Joseph and the Blessed Mother, and Jesus. And you know the story, and you probably know the reason why. The, 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 there's this, like, like, why? How could that even happen? How could it happen that uh, St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother would leave Jerusalem and leave Jesus behind? Like, how's that even a thing? How's that possible? That, you know, it's like, hey, there's only two of us. Where's Jesus? <laughs> like, how do you travel for a whole day away from Jerusalem and not realize that you left your 12-year-old son behind. Well, it has to do with the way in which uh, the Jewish people would visit Jerusalem during these feasts. They wouldn't just go as an individual family. So it wasn't just the the Holy Family, St. Joseph and uh, the Lord Jesus and, and the Blessed Mother that were going. They, they were going with their entire clan, their entire town, uh, their, their entire set of relatives. It would have been a whole cohort of folks. All right, back in a minute. I'll continue on with this. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. I'm talking about the, uh, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. And it's like, how, how, how does this happen that, that St. Joseph and the Blessed Mother have lost track of Jesus? Well, I mentioned that they traveled in this caravan. So imagine you have um, a, a, a large group walking together and at the head of the group, at the front of this caravan, are the men walking together. And then you go all the way back to the back part of the caravan, and you have the women traveling together. And so the men in the front, the women in the back. Well, what about the children? Well, children sort of fall into two categories, loosely speaking. Um, those that have reached the age where they're now associating with the men and the age that's younger than that where they are associated, uh, being associated and connected to the women. Well, what age would be uh, the age at which they shift from being with the women, namely at the back of the caravan, to the front where they would be with the men at the front of the caravan? Well, the answer is right around 12. Right around 12 is where Jesus would have um, begun to say, uh, you know, they would have begun to identify Jesus not as a kid, therefore be with the women in the back, and instead as a young man, therefore be with the men up front. Now, if that's true, well, then guess what would be easy to have happened? Well, Joseph's thinking, oh, Jesus isn't with me. He must be in the back with his mother because he's still of that age where it's fitting for him to be with his mother. And what's the Blessed Mother saying? Jesus isn't with me. Well, he obviously now, um, maybe this visit has solidified in his mind. It's time for him to be with his father. And so he's going to go to the front of the caravan. And then what happens? They travel for the day. They get together. They're, um, they're going to camp out for the night. And then it's like, uh, I thought he was with you. And so they traveled for that day thinking that Jesus was with the other. And then they, at the end, they're a day away. What do they have to do? Well, he's not with me. He's not with you. Oh, no, where is he? Let's go back. So it takes them a day of traveling back to Jerusalem. And then there's a third day where they're traveling around Jerusalem. And so here you have these until they finally find Jesus, uh, they're in the temple talking with the elders uh, and the scribes uh, and asking questions and, and, and sharing wise answers. Um, and, and you stop and you say, what was that like for Joseph? 
If you think it was hard in the act of the presentation, how hard is it in the existential experience of my kid is lost from view? Where is he? What have I done? What can I do to somehow get him back to be safe with me? And so the amount of anxiety, the amount of, of, of a sense of a wound that, that is that is landing upon them, the suffering that is, that is upon them. In fact, uh, you've heard me say it before that the seven sorrows of Mary refer to these swords that are piercing her heart of the seven sorrows, the one that is considered to be her greatest suffering is this one. Kind of a surprise. You'd think that the suffering of Jesus on the cross or the suffering of Jesus going through his passion and before he dies, these would be the greatest sorrows of the Blessed Mother. No, it was this one, so says certain saints, that it was the suffering of not knowing where Jesus was, not knowing was he okay, not knowing what is happening. And so uh, let me just say there, there are people that are listening to this where you have loved ones, that are not visible to you. You wonder what is going on with them. And you're searching maybe in your heart, you're searching with the anxiety, the stress, you're searching through the prayer as you approach the Lord. Go to Joseph, go to Joseph, go to Joseph, go to the Blessed Mother. Ask for their beautiful, powerful, compassionate, sympathetic intercessory prayer for you when you're facing those situations, when I have faced those situations, and they're terrible, they're terrible suffering, I have gone to the Blessed Mother more than Joseph, but I'm going to go to Joseph now in a new way, in a heightened awareness of going to Joseph and to the Blessed Mother to ask for their mighty, mighty and compassionate intercession for my kids, for those kids that are far from the Lord, far from us, far from us knowing, are they safe? So I hope that that St. Joseph and what he underwent is a blessing to you. Okay, the next section that uh, it, the, the next event in the life of Jesus, in the life of Joseph that I'm talking about today is, um, it's, it's the longest one. It's the longest event um, and yet it's the one that has um, almost the least me- uh, mention in the scriptures. And that is, let's call it the, the 18 years of Jesus living a hidden life. Jesus living a life hidden with Joseph. Joseph as his foster father, and he honored his father. He honored his father and mother. And Jesus is honoring his father and mother as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 18-year-old, 22-year-old, 25-year-old, until Joseph dies. We don't know when, but that the tradition is that, he, uh, that Joseph, sorry, Jesus, um, started to exercise his public ministry shortly after the death of Joseph. So it's up to 18 years that Joseph had a front row seat on the life of Jesus and his growth in his own uh, living out of the reality and displaying that reality that he's the son of God. I mean, he heard more communication from Jesus than anybody on earth other than Mary. Other than Mary, Joseph received more, like look me in the eyes, communication from Jesus than anyone else. And he Maybe, you know, let's say as much as the Blessed Mother while he was alive, but he spoke into the life of Jesus more than any other human being. And you say, how did St. Joseph become this second greatest saint? Well, the traditional phrase is, he fulfilled the duties of his state in life. He fulfilled the duties of his state in life. He fulfilled the duties of his state in life. He was a husband and a father. And as such, it was his job to lead, provide, and protect his family. And it was his job to exercise spiritual leadership in the home. It was his job to have a job and to work and to raise his, uh, his foster child, Jesus, the Son of God, 
uh, into a, a godly man. He who was God into a godly man uh, of prayer, of honoring the Father, and of work. And to think that Jesus, the creator of Joseph, was an apprentice to Joseph in learning the craft of being a carpenter, it's just so much there that's just amazing. But for our lives, what does this mean? It means go to Joseph. Go to Joseph, especially if you are struggling to find in the duties of your state in life anything other than drudgery. If you're finding in the duties of your state in life, whether it's a husband, a father, a wife, a mother, whether you're going to work or you're at home, whether you're homeschooling or whether you're engaged in other activities, you wonder, what does this have to do with my uh, religious life, my, my life of faith? What does this have to do with my growth and holiness? Well, St. Joseph is the example. He is the model, and he will be your intercessor to help you realize that it's in those actual activities that the Lord will purify you, he'll extend, and he will help grow you into a saint right there. It doesn't have to be in talking about religious things. It can be right there in the midst of the details of your daily life. Okay, the last moment in the life of Joseph is the moment of Joseph's death. And we know that St. Joseph is the patron saint of a happy death, and you've heard me talk about this before in Sound Insight, so I'll keep it short. It's that he's considered uh, the patron saint of a happy death because, because why? Because when he died, he had the Blessed Mother on one side and Jesus on the other. Not a bad way to go. Um, and I'm being facetious. It's the best way to go. huh? So ask St. Joseph to pray for you. Pray for a happy death. Often today in a, in a in a, in a casual secular world, we want to pray for what? Oh, I want to die in my sleep, and I want it to be quick and painless. This is not the prayer of the church. The prayer of the church isn't a quick, painless death in your sleep. No. A, uh, a prayer of the church is, Lord, preserve me from an unprepared for death. Lord, preserve me from an unexpected death. Lord, help me be prepared and ready for my death. Again, you've heard me say this before in Sound Insight, that the most important day of your life is the day you die. The most important day of your life is the day you die, because it's the day that has the most at stake in it. And so you want to make sure that you have an intercessor on your side, intercessors on your side praying for you now and at the hour of your death, so that you're not caught unawares, you're not caught uh, off guard, and you're not afraid that the sting of death will have been removed and that you will be welcoming death as a door home to heaven and and experience a truly happy death. Ask St. Joseph for that. Pray to him for a happy death for yourself and your loved ones, especially those that are near to death and may be far from God. All right, I'm at the end of my program. Thank you so much for listening. Please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day and pray for us, St. Joseph.